0: Exsurga Deus, disipentur inimici eius, et fugi eius. Let God arise, and let his enemies be scattered, and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. <sighs> Isn't it impressive how things can carry on and on and on, and there be too few people asking questions. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancte Michael Arcangelae, defenden in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias diabli est o praesidium. Imperatili Deus, supplices de precamort, duce princeps militae caelestis, satana maliosque spiritus malignos, qui ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute in infernum detrude. Amen. Cor Jesus Sacratissimum, miserere nobis, Mater Dolorosa, ora pro nobis. <coughs> Beatus Carolus domo domo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Domine ostende facim Tuum et salvietimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. So there's only a very small faction of people asking questions about the greater influences having to do with the war in Ukraine. There are some who have drawn conclusions and are holding to those, and I'm not really particularly what's the word i'm looking for um against drawing conclusions and carrying forward (laughs) however we need to probe we need to ask so we have the war in ukraine and People are allowed to question that only as much as, well, they're willing to put up with hatred or revilement or contempt in varying degrees. To, to be sure, not everybody's um, not everybody is on board, and yet, and yet, President Zelensky shows up at the Grammys. And the first thing, and the funny thing is, so I'm watching this clip because I didn't watch the Grammys because I could care less about the Grammys. Um, I didn't watch the Oscars because I could care less about the Oscars. Um, it's all just a bunch of rich people celebrating their richness, and not moral richness, not ethical richness, not you know, not any virtue that you would recognize. There's there's no there's no virtue with these people, for the most part. And to be sure, there's a couple out there who, you know, live, I would say, somewhat honorable lives. There are a few names that even come to mind. But even amidst those honorable lives, you still have a certain degree of vapid sort of follow, go with the flow, etc., um, which is particularly dangerous when you're talking about things like war. <clears throat> Everyone wants to focus on the emotional parts, the the emotion, the suffering of the Ukrainian people, the, the despotic nature of whatever. And to be sure, we do this even on this program, because let's be real, how long have I been talking about the World Economic Forum? Um, and then I can add to that the World Global, what is it, the Global Government Summit? That just that just popped off. and they're carrying on very much the way they did, knowing full well that there's nothing that anybody can do, specifically because we're not willing to do the things that are necessary. <clears throat> and I hate to say it, but the things that are necessary are, are not particularly um, calm or peaceful. I could talk about having to stand up for our rights. I don't do that. I don't spend a lot of time talking about the rights of man. Most of the most of the theme of this show, even though I've never really said it, is about the responsibilities of man. There are things that we are called to do. There are things that we are supposed to obey. These are pretty obvious. And in the week, as we go from Christ's entry into Jerusalem as a celebrity to his crucifixion, to show just exactly how fickle the mob can be. Because let's be real for just a moment. Let's back this up. As I'm recording this, this is Palm Sunday. This is the day... That Judea announced, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is that week. This is today, as I'm recording it, is that day. And we're going to go from Hosanna in the highest, celebrating the son of King David, celebrating the Messiah, The one who was promised by God. And in four days. In four days we go from this man is the man God. The God, the the one sent by God. The anointed one. The savior of Israel. In four days we go from the savior of Israel to crucify him. Because that, somehow, is the provenance of, of thinking people. Because these thinking people, who were able to recognize this man, this carpenter, who healed the sick, cast out demons, raised the dead... This man, who everybody was able to recognize on Sunday as the son of the living God. They spit on him, they beat him, they insulted him, they reviled him, and then they murdered him. And then they wallowed in that pain and suffering and hatred because they were not saved from the Roman Empire. They did not gain their kingdom on earth that they thought they were going to gain. They were expecting a mighty king to show up with legions and set the Gentiles aflight. And they were incapable of comprehending that his mission was more than just sending Gentiles to flight. His mission was more than just chastising those uncircumcised Philistines. His mission was more than that. His mission was the salvation of all mankind. His mission was to bring all back to the one true faith. To identify the true enemy of mankind. And to wage war against that one. And so this week, the questions I want to ask, I don't want to ask... The great powers that be they are they are basically reprobate there is nothing that can save them but prayer you can call you can call them to question all of the things and they'll back off for a little while but they are still reprobate they will still be damned because they don't want to be saved because there are too few people who understand the necessity of salvation. There are too few people who understand the necessity of having God run mankind as king. And so they will continue again and again to do it their way. Contrary to every obvious Sign. I will say that I've been willing to walk back some of the apocalyptic overtones. I do not believe that things are going to go the way that we think they are. I believe that Russia is going to be an instrument of chastisement. I believe that eventually the Rokor will fall in. And return to Catholicism. And I believe that that path is going to happen at the same time that Catholics abandon the Catholic faith. Because here's the thing. One of the fruits of having done shows with John Coleman at the Apocytostasis Institute, is I've seen that we have surrendered ourselves to a sort of legalism. It's painful to watch, in all honesty. The church has declared, thus and so, and so we carry forth, except that we don't carry forth. And we don't. We don't carry forth in obedience. We can't. Because much of what the church has declared, thus and so, the things that have practical application in our lives, beyond the spiritual, they've couched in terms that we don't really fully comprehend, do we? And it's at this point that I realized that it was the overall abandonment of Latin that has actually done it, because in a dead language, in a dead form of a language, even if they were to declare it in English, if they were to declare it in Dewey Rem English, then the words, as they meant when they were coined, as they meant in the way they were used, back then, could be immovable. These definitions would be unmoving. But because most of our definitions are mobile, most of our definitions are almost as fluid as the left claims gender is, we spend a very long time trying to figure out exactly what things mean. And in a legalistic society, that is sabotage. It is sabotage... To one's faith it is sabotage to one's understanding of the law it is sabotage to the capacity for man to be able to do commerce not just financial commerce or economic commerce but to but to do commerce one with another to be able to communicate Because we're not operating on the same definitions. We're not operating on the same concepts. We're not operating under the same ideas. We are no longer operating under the sovereignty of the eternal word. And this makes living in a nation under the so-called rule of law impossible. And it's important to see and understand that. That's why in the three in the three shows that it did with the Apocas the with the Institute, the first show, we identified where we stood. And that was important. It was important to understand the background that we were coming from so that we could further understand that the use of a particular word here or there may mean something different. There is not one language. I will tell you right now, and I've said this before in this podcast, even though I speak English, even though I am fully formed in the English language, there are contexts that change the verbiage that I use significantly. And I say that because anyone who's ever read a technical manual, and I'll refer to the Haynes manuals or the old Chilton manuals for automotive, you'll find words in there that seem to make sense, but don't truly make sense until you see the pictures. And even then, only mostly truly make sense, because in addition to the pictures, you actually have to put your hands on the components and see how they relate one with another. And if you have no training in this, if you have no ability to see that this component operates with, if you don't understand the theory of the operation, then you cannot fully comprehend the technical data that you're being given. And it doesn't matter that it's written in English and that you speak English and that you've never spoken another language. You will not comprehend, period, full stop. And the language, the linguistics that are used in the material world for something such as technical data is drastically different in scope, in context, in usage, than the language used for theological or political situations. The language is significantly different from ecclesiological. Dynamics. I think that's the word I'm going to use. I think we're going to s- switch situations and switch that out with dynamics. So, things that are going on that have a theological component, things that are going on that are dynamically within the realm of God, things that are going on that are dynamically within the realm of the church or dynamically within the realm of politics, you can use many of the same words because, of course, they correlate. But their context is going to be so different that if I were to compare the words that I would use to describe something theological to the words that I would use to describe something fully material, such as an automobile or an aircraft or a bus or a train or a ship, they're going to be significantly different. And I ended with the word ship because ship is so very often used in the church because the main mode of mass transit for most of mankind's existence was either the horse or the ship. That was it. And the ship, when it comes to mechanical complexity, is significantly less than that of the aircraft, or the spacecraft, or even the automobile. Most of the things that apply to ships still apply to ships today. While we have added mechanical components, most of those things still apply to ships today. (laughs) And even in aircraft, we still use words like ballast. We're still concerned with wind current. Wind current, not so much ocean current because we don't touch the ocean. For that, we leave that to the ships. Cars almost negate, negate wind current altogether. With the exception of stability when it comes to driving down the road. But the mechanics for each of them largely cross over when you have the newer ships with big diesel engines that, you know, carry tons and tons of cargo. The design is basically the same for a diesel engine on a a cargo supercarrier as it is on an automobile for the engine. It's the same mechanics. The tools are just much, much larger. But that same engine that turns the propeller on an airplane is the same engine in an automobile. And it's the same engine in a cargo ship. Unless unless that ship is nuclear, which I've never even heard of a nuclear-powered cargo ship. And I think we ought to try it. The fact remains is that travel by car or boat or airplane the context, the terms, the verbiage is going to be significantly different despite the fact that all of those same verb, all of those same words particularly the verbs are used in a religious context but in a religious context Your objective is not to go physically from point A to point B. Your objective is to go from earth to heaven. Or hell. And many people fail to realize that their objective is to go to hell. And that they actually have to make a U-turn on the road that they're going on. And get back to the path to the one gate. And the fact is that all roads spiritually lead to Rome if you'll just follow them. But Rome is the one gate to heaven. The one gate. Because within that one gate are all of the hallmarks of the necessary obedience, all of the hallmarks of the necessary humility, all of the harm hallmarks of the necessary meekness, that unattached nature, all of the hallmarks of courage and prudence and fortitude, all of those hallmarks are perfected by the one gate protected by Rome. And the tragedy is that Rome is abandoning the faith. Rome is abandoning the lexicon. Rome is abandoning the dialogue. Rome is abandoning everything that it needs in order to sort of couch itself in with the world order. So let's look at world history from God's perspective. In the beginning, he created man. And man fell by reason of their sin. And over the course of seven generations, man became corrupt fully. Such that by the time of Noah, we had completely forgotten our capacity to understanding reality the way it should be and we were so consumed with doing things outside of the ken of God, that we failed to realize that you cannot, you cannot deviate beyond a certain point from the designs of the original engineer. You will consume yourself. And to be sure, well, let's put it this way. God sent the flood. So that he didn't have to send us everything else that comes from, that came from the concupiscence, that came from the lewdness, the lasciviousness, the lack of moral virtue, our incapacity to use the things that we were given for the purposes that we were given them. God made man Adam and Eve, and then said, Go forth and multiply. And by the time of Noah, mankind had largely abandoned that. Pretty fundamental. We had abandoned the continuity of the species. And this is particularly dangerous when you think of the fact that during the time of Noah, the lifespan wasn't 70 years. It was almost 1,000 years. Man was capable of living for 900 years. Could you imagine for yourself, for just a moment, think about this. You live for 15, 20, 30 years. You have all your children. And then over the course of the next 800 years, 800 years, or more. You fall into licentiousness and depravity. Let's say you don't have all your children. Could you comprehend for a thousand years living in a way that utterly rejects the natural order Think about this for just a moment. Think about the evils that you could wreak upon upon the earth for a thousand years. Because this is probably the thing that people don't comprehend. So Adam and Eve were created. And then before Noah... Built the ark. But after Noah was born, Adam and Eve pass away. So Noah very likely knew Adam. In point of fact, Noah probably was one of the few within that direct line that still followed the instructions. Of his father. Because most of the rest of his cousins, and there were myriads by this point, most of the rest of his cousins had abandoned the faith, had abandoned the one the had abandoned the path of God. <laughs> and from Lamech, who killed a man for an insult. I mean, think about this Lamech was very much probably still alive Cain was probably still alive rejected by God because he rejected God now mind you none of this is none of this is for certain we know we know for sure of none of it But this is just an extrapolation based on what I know of what has been passed down. We talk about all of the, we talk about everything within the story, but you have to extrapolate from what's in the story to see what was going on outside. Noah, his wife, and his three sons were the sum total of righteous people In the entire human race, during a time when no doubt 12 kids was probably the norm, we talk about Adam and Eve having (coughs) Cain, Abel, and Seth, and we know that they had other daughters at least. We talk about the generations of Adam as they go line by line, and you make it to Enoch. But they only ever actually named the primogenitor for most of those generations, with the exception of, obviously, telling the story of Cain and Abel. Cain, who rejected Adam, not an inheritor. And then you have Seth. So it goes Adam, Seth, on through the line, but they only mention the primogenitor. The firstborn, the one who inherits. <laughs> but they had other sons and daughters besides. And typically, numbering at least 12. I mean, if I'm alive for a thousand years, I'm not even joking. If I knew that I was going I'm what, 40? I'll be 43 this summer. If I knew that I was going to be alive for another thousand years, do you think I would stop having children? I have dozens of kids. Over the course of a thousand years, now I'm not even joking. If I only had one child per century, it would still be six, seven, eight, nine kids. If I had one child per decade, I could, I could single handedly repopulate a city by the time my great grandkids are born. And that's kind of the important thing to keep in mind is that we're talking about a time period in the time of Noah when most of everybody lived a thousand years, where a thousand years was was the top end of a full life. We have and we have this nasty tendency to re, to think in terms of today. We can't even think of yesterday. We can't even go back to the 1700s when infant mortality and and mothers and the mortality of mothers during childbirth was high enough That you didn't just have one or two kids. That you had as many kids as you could possibly have because you didn't even know if they were all going to live. Even among the nobility, there's demarcations that are common in heraldry for seven or eight kids. You had the primogenitor, the one who would would directly inherit, and then you had everybody else. And it didn't just go two to three, maybe four. It went. And we can't even comprehend a life like that. And because we can't comprehend the idea that we would have 10 or 12 kids... I mean, today, let's be real. Today, if we knew we were going to live a thousand years, you'd have one kid. Maybe two. With our modern mindset, we would have maybe two or three kids. Three at the most, assuming one of them died in an accident or a drug overdose or whatever. But they had that length of life Up until the flood. And when you take time out to stop and think, yes, okay, this is the way things are. They didn't have, let's be real. They may have had infant mortality to a higher level than we have today. But we have testimony. In Genesis that there were some significantly advanced technologies in use. And I'm going to tell you right now that if you can, if you can work with metal, and they could, if you could work with carpentry and stringed instruments, and if you can work enough to where you figure out how to make music, and they did, this is in scripture, If you can figure out all of those things, then you can figure out everything else. Now, maybe they didn't have telecommunications like we do today. Okay, cool, granted, given. But if you can make objects, that means you can design objects. And if you can design objects, that means there was in fact some form of written language. And since the whole world spoke of one tongue, It seems a little bit ridiculous to me that they wouldn't have figured out some way of inscribing what it is that they need to say, (laughs) which means you can engineer. There are some things you wouldn't have to engineer. You know, you wouldn't necessarily have to engineer big mass transit stuff. Clearly, nobody talks about space flight in the Old Testament. So you don't have to necessarily engineer all of those things. But there's enough going on for a level of sophistication that I think we don't comprehend. And I think we really ought to, because it is important. (laughs) the midrash says that they had abandoned the use the proper use of their own genitalia to the point where man was married to other men and to animals and it was at that point that God looked and said these people aren't turning back and remember That the most desolate, the most reprobate of these people were still created by God. And we had turned so far away that he repented of our creation. Now, let's think about this for just a moment. If God was only concerned with one bloodline, with one family which he was because that one family is actually all of humanity, but if he was only concerned with having a chosen people, a a single nation, surely he would not have destroyed the whole world for falling to the level of depravity that they did. If he was only concerned with one people, with one nation, why wipe the world clean? Why not instead take into account that he wants us all? That he wants us to choose him, not to the point where he's willing to override our will. Because to be sure, he didn't even do that to the angels. But he wants us all. He made us all. Of course he wants us all. We're not little experiments. We're his creation. As beloved as the art is to the artist. But the art, be it statue or painting, they don't have the will I don't ever have to worry if I decide to draw a picture, or I paint a painting, or I sculpt. I don't have to worry that the painting will turn against me. I don't have to worry that the sculpture will suddenly look at me and say, you are not my creator. But the same distance between me and my painting, me and my sculpture, is the same distance as man from God. <laughs> I should say same proportionate distance. And I can assess this based on the fact that the testimony of the saints is is that painted fire has more in common with real fire, than fire has with hell fire. The distance from painted fire is actually closer to real fire than real fire's distance to hell fire. So I'm gonna go with proportionate distance. The sculpture, the painting is closer to me than I am in significance to God. And since I never have to worry about my own drawings or my own paintings, my own creations, my own physical creations turning on me because they're inanimate, I never have to worry about the one thing that God actually sees his creation, turn against him. So what does all this have to do with Ukraine? What does it all have to do with Russia? I believe that the Rokor will return to the Catholic faith. I believe that Roman Catholics have no concept of what this is going to look like. I believe that the Orthodox Christians at some point are going to have to get the bone out of their craw because all of the things that they're angry about are hundreds of years old. Some of it a thousand years old. And they're not wrong about the core of it. The core of it is that Rome tends to the legalistic when it comes to dealing man with man. But in doing that, they've distanced themselves no small bit from God's mother. Because The Orthodox Churches taught the Immaculate Conception before it was codified. We understood Mary to be Immaculately Conceived. Across Christendom, we understood Mary to be Immaculately Conceived. It's an important thing to note. We understood it even though it was not defined. And then it was defined and the Orthodox Churches cut back on the teaching. And remember that that definition only came in, what, 1858? I mean, the Miraculous Medal was originally struck in 1830, or circa 1830, obviously it takes some time, the definition of the definition of the dogma of the immaculate conception came shortly later and then the theology started to really fray between the orthodox churches and Rome I would be interested to know what recorded Marian apparitions there are in the Orthodox. I would. Because that question and its resultant answer should be a clue. It should be a clue. Because the Orthodox Church is still putting out saints. That's certain. Because the saints' focus is a very Catholic one. The Orthodox saints are focused entirely on God, on Christ, on the Blessed Mother, They're focused entirely on the heavenly things, which they should. But when I hear about the Orthodox saints, you know who I don't hear about? I don't hear about a whole lot of laymen. And that should be of a concern. And I don't know how true because I'm not Orthodox. I didn't pass through Eastern Orthodoxy to Catholicism, so there's not pretty much the entire Orthodox section of the Christian faith is completely anomalous. The way they cross themselves is different. Okay, cool, whatever, it's still the cross. The songs are different, the language is different. Okay, cool, but it's still worship. Still worship of the one true God. But the other question that I think the Orthodox need to ask themselves is how come Orthodox Christians in the land of Protestants don't get nearly as much flack If they hate you, know they hated me before you. And I would argue that the hatred of the world at large is one of the hallmarks. It's one of the hallmarks. Nobody goes after Russia. Well, seriously, think about this. In the Russian, in the whole dialectic having to do with Russia, does anybody go after the Russian Orthodox Church? Isn't that whole talk missing? Nobody goes after the Greeks for the Greek Orthodox. Nobody goes after the Ukrainians for the Ukrainian Orthodox. Nobody goes after any of the Orthodox Christians aside from the general hatred of Christianity. But everybody goes after Rome. Rome has to acquiesce to everything that the world demands. Otherwise, Rome is illegitimate. They're papist. they're pagan, they're whatever. Think about it. It could also be because the Orthodox branches are so small. But then I would ask myself that other question, because at one point the Orthodox ruled a huge portion of the world. And where is that today? Seriously, where is it today? So Ukraine makes its appeal for more weapons, which is weird. Because if I were interested in peace in Ukraine, I would be interested in peace. It does not matter how many weapons you dump into Ukraine. They will never be the fighting force capable of fully repelling Russia. And for all of you naysayers who are like, well, you know, they're doing a great job. Yeah, and Russia could send 10 times the number of troops And do the job and get it done. Russia is still holding back. They haven't deployed 100,000 troops into Ukraine. They haven't deployed 200,000 troops in Ukraine. They, they can field an army of a million. And they've not done so. For whatever, so whatever your assessment is to the motives of Vladimir Putin and the Russians, I don't care. Because they can field a far larger force in Ukraine than they have. And if they really wanted to win, if they were pulling a by any means necessary campaign, they would have won because their troops vastly outnumber even the fighting-age men. And you cannot, as many Western, foreign quote-unquote, foreign fighters, have found out, if you don't have the training, you don't stand a chance. I can give you all of the rocket launchers and missile launchers and grenade launchers and machine guns and rifles... That i want i could give you the top of the line aircraft i can give you all of the weapon systems all of the weapons platforms that you could possibly dream of but if you don't know how to use it if you don't know how they're properly employed you're dust with fancy toys that's it oh we need to give them more weapons Who are these magical people who are going to use these weapons? Ukraine didn't have a large standing army. They didn't have a million war fighters. So how, pray tell, were they going to stand against Russia? Ever. You're going to put a gun in the the hands of every man, woman, and child. And not less than a quarter of them will kill themselves trying to fight this war. Because they don't know what they're doing. So are we really helping, or are we just dumping money, trying to look good? Because I suspect the truth is the latter. And while we're busy trying to look good, nobody's looking at anything else. Are they talking about the food shortages? Are they talking about the supply chain breakage? Are they talking about the fact that businesses are trying to figure out ways to keep running Knowing full well that all of a sudden, after a hundred years of just-in-time manufacturing, of just-in-time supply chains, after a hundred years now, oh crap, we got to stock up. Because it's not working the way it used to work. Because we don't have the people. And let's dive into some economics. SkyWest Airlines, the largest regional operator in the United States. I've... Fixed some of their planes. Have announced that they're going to have to shut down some of their routes, even the ones that are federally subsidized, because they do not have pilots. The airline industry is going to be short more than 20,000 pilots by year's end. Actually, uh, closer to 50. With a shortage of 50,000 pilots, that means there's going to be a shortage of people who can fly the plane. Now, to be sure, most aircraft fly themselves. And I'm not even joking. Most aircraft actually spend most of their time in flight flying on their own without the intervention of a pilot. And they're capable, actually, of flying completely without crew. But there's a problem. Because of, because an aircraft transporting passengers without a pilot means that a ship lacks a captain, and that captain is the authority on the ship. So as much as we could fly aircraft without fly airlines without pilots, you have to pass the authority to somebody else, somebody who's actually control in control of the ship. So without pilots means no captain. No captain means no flight. Because humans, as you've been seeing ever in, in ever-increasing numbers on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, on TikTok, on all of the social media video sharing platforms, airlines have become much more ornery due to unruly passengers who do not know how to keep themselves under control over the last year, year and a half. and even the flight attendants have gotten out of hand. But that's not all, because pilots is just one symptom. The aviation maintenance industry is short 75, almost 100,000 mechanics. Certified mechanics who are certified to sign off on the maintenance, that the maintenance was done properly in accordance with federal aviation regulations. No mechanic, no fly. No pilot, no fly. The aviation industry is gonna be short almost 300,000 crew. Air crew, ground crew, just crew. No air crew, no fly. Doesn't matter how nice your airplanes are. No air crew, no fly. The trucking industry is short hundreds, at least 100,000 truckers. Do you, like, seriously, wrap your brain around this. Do you honestly believe that the shipping industry isn't short? Dock workers, captains, ships, crew... This is particularly onerous in America because in America, we don't like to do anything. We have decided that the entire world is going to be vassals to the grand consumer that is the United States. This is not sustainable. We need sailors. We need sailors. We need airmen. And we need truckers, land, sea, and air. Otherwise, the entire global industry... All of it, the whole global economy, <laughs> right down to freaking toilet. And do you honestly believe that you're going to depend on a third world country to provide you with ships, captains, to provide you with aviators, to provide you with mechanics? Yeah, let's just head on over to Nigeria and steal all of their aircraft mechanics. Oh, crap. They don't have any. Well, we can always go to Somalia, right? I mean, they've got pirates. Oh, well, what about Yemen or Libya? Ah, crap. Them too. (coughs) You're not going to be able to count on the Arab world because the Arab world has an 87% illiteracy rate. 13 out of every 100 people can read. And you know what they don't read? They don't read tech data. I'll refer you back to the earlier parts of this podcast and why that's important. Well, surely we could do the Chinese. Uh Maybe. i got to be perfectly honest with you, it's a little bit questionable, as uh, let's be blunt. There have been airlines crashed due to the inability for pilots to communicate between Russian pilots and Polish pilots. And the Polish language is far closer to Russian than it is English. And that ability to speak English, the lingua franca of aviation is vitally important. In fact, actually, English is the lingua franca of international travel. writ large. 87% of the Middle East, Arab America uh, the Arab world, the Muslim world can't read or write in their own language. They're going to read and write in English. So we're not getting it from the Arab world. We're probably not going to get it from China. I mean, maybe you get it from Russia, but you're not getting him from Ukraine. I, want, I, I would like you to do the mental exercise, and I want you to point to the nation or nations that we're going to hand over international travel governance to. Who? Who is going to supply the pilots, the captains, the captains of both the ships of the air and the ships of the sea? Who's going to provide that? Do tell. The global supply system is coming to an end. Because we, who established the world order back in World War One, abandoned it. Over the last 30 years, we didn't push anybody. Think about this for just a moment. Since uh, probably the 1960s, they've been pushing college, college, college. Okay, cool. Well, you don't have to go to college to be a pilot, and you don't have to go to college to be a to be a sailor. And you have military people, of course, who can fill in some of these roles, but they're not gonna be able to fill in most of the roles. And most people, when they're growing up, they don't wanna be a ship's captain of a cargo ship. Most people growing up, they don't even wanna be airline pilots. Generation Z is a generation of TikTokers and YouTubers. Some who have good skills, but I've been, but I've been looking across YouTube lately for the cross-skill training, you could say, getting ideas from some of some, from some of the other YouTube creators. And you know what I find interesting is that most of the most popular ones, most of the ones who do some really good work, they're my age. Even the wildly entertaining ones like Colin Furze, Colin Furze is my age. By the way, if you haven't seen some of his work, I highly recommend it. This guy is clever to the max. Started out, he was a plumber. Now he's one of the most famous YouTube creators on, on YouTube in the world. And rightly so. When you look at some of the stuff that he designs and builds, it is... I mean, his construction quality is excellent. And some of his ideas are off the wall and out of control. And most of them are actually significantly more practical... Than you would then you would anticipate, but most of the YouTubers who actually do a thing are my age, and most of the influencers, you know, the pretty boys and girls, what do they do? Well, not a whole lot. They talk a lot. They glamorize a lot. Even the boys. You know, talk about health and wellness and this, that, and the other, which is great, to be sure. But I don't see any of them piloting ships. I don't see any of them driving trucks. There is a dearth Of people who can do stuff. And my generation is not going to carry the burden forever. Because we got sold the same wolf tickets that the baby boomer generation got sold. Or actually has been selling us for 50 freaking years as they refuse to get out of the public. And they're all the same people. Talking about Ukraine and the suffering of the children in Ukraine. And Vladimir Putin's the enemy. He's the devil. Ah! And the world is going to collapse not because, not because of despotism, although that's helping, but because most people on earth today are useless. They've neglected the virtues, and so they've neglected learning anything real. Congratulations, Western civilization. You're going to bring out the end of the world. I don't mean like in a biblical sense, but you're going to bring about the end of the world because you were too stupid to learn something worthwhile. And all of that fluffy theoretical knowledge that actually has nothing to do with real things is going to be the downfall. And how do I know that it's nothing to do with real things? Because you are the same people who can't figure out what... You are the same people who cannot define what a man or a woman is. Oh, you certainly know what toxic masculinity is, but you don't know what a woman is. And these are the people who are telling you that trans lives matter. Admitting in full that they don't even know what a woman is. And so they have no problem mocking it by cutting themselves up. Just like the just like the women conversely have no problem mocking masculinity by cutting themselves up and turning themselves into a facsimile. Too busy doing that to realize that there are no men to run the ships. And to be sure, to be sure, I love women. But captaining a ship is not in a woman's provenance. It's not. It's not part of her nature. Because unlike our leftist friends, I'm Catholic, and I have a much more solid understanding of the laws of nature, and how they relate to the divine, and how the divine relates to material reality, and how material reality relates one with another than they do, especially considering they're the same people who can't even define man. Or woman. If this was, if this is what it was like in the age of Noah, then good riddance. All of those people who refused, good riddance. Because all of those people would be right here today, spitting out the same bullcrap. And they would be just as useless. Lest we forget, Noah was a shipbuilder. In a time in the world where I'm not entirely sure there were oceans. You don't hear about rain. You don't hear about floods. You don't hear about waves. They don't talk about beaches, it's garden. I'm reasonably certain that in the time of Noah, before the flood, everything was just basically pretty kosher. And I say basically pretty kosher, meaning temperate, lush. Yeah, man had to work by the sweat of his brow. But he wasn't working by the sweat of his brow in the desert. I don't think. We have no, we, we have nothing to indicate. <laughs> I'll put it this way. They thought Noah was a fool for building a boat. An ark. If there were oceans, think about this. Again, not a theological certainty, this is a supposition based on the data at hand. If there were oceans, no one would have made fun of Noah for building a ship that large. Just a thought, because a ship that large Think about it. Would have been genius. Not even joking. Think about that. I mean, seriously. Let this register. Let this sink in. If there were oceans and a ship large enough to house two of every two of every species of animal, plus Noah's nine kids, plus more besides. Because he did tell the people to get on the boat. He said there was a flood coming and they needed to save themselves. And nobody came. They didn't even really come out of, out of anything more than morbid curiosity. What are you building that for? That's just crazy. Nobody came up and said to Noah, hey, you know, there's this spot over there with lots of water where that would go perfectly. We could totally use this. In fact, would you design our ships so we can have industry? Nobody said this. This is not mentioned anywhere in scripture. Noah builds this giant ship, which by the way, is on par with some of the most massive cargo ships we build today. And nobody said, wow, that's cool. Think about it. Not one person said, oh, hey, I have a use for something like that. They all laughed at him. They all mocked him. That leads me to believe that there was not a body of water large enough to accommodate that ship. (laughs) Food for thought. Because let's be real for just a minute. As large as Noah's Ark is, and there's an example of it built by Protestants, I think it's in Tennessee. 17th and 18th century captains would have loved a ship like that. They would have dreamed of a ship like that. A ship like that is greater than all of the fantasies of Captain Jack Whoever, of Sir Francis Drake, of Captain Kidd. Think about it. And they called Noah crazy. They laughed at him. That should be enough to tell you right there that there were no oceans. They laughed at him. They thought a contraption such as this was preposterous. Nobody saw the genius. Seriously. To build a ship such as that, I'm not even joking. To build a ship such, such as that, that, like no joke, that should have been the beginning of seafaring. And imagine what we'd be toting around today in the oceans. I mean, that ship is almost That ship is huge. Oh, Noah's Ark, this, that, and the other. No, 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 no. They made fun of him. They didn't even make fun of Nikola Tesla like that. All of the great inventors. Nobody made fun of Leonardo da Vinci. Not like that. The great innovators in the world nobody makes fun of them you immediately see the potential of the things that they're doing and you go oh that is so you may not understand it at all you know the internet 30 years ago the internet oh nobody really understands the internet oh okay cool well they still understood the concept they could see the potential they could see something beyond nobody looked at noah's ark and said hey we could revolutionize shipping nobody I could transport a whole city in a ship like that. And nobody thought of that. Forget Babel. Forget the Tower of Babel. A ship like that? Come on, man. And that's how you know it's true. Because in the modern world today, somebody builds something like that, and there are... Come on now. There are people on YouTube whose whole living is building things that nobody thought of. Or maybe things that people thought of, but they didn't have the resources. There's whole sections of YouTube dedicated to that. Because there's always been an interest... From a certain perspective, if YouTube would have existed in the Middle Ages, you know what they would have had? You would have, you would, you no joke, you would have would have had videos about the construction of windmills. The shipwrights who built the, the USS Constitution would have had a YouTube channel, and everybody would still tune in because it's that cool. And yet Noah. Had no fans. There was nobody there who was an ac- like seriously. There was nobody there who was an acolyte who thought, "Wow, this is really cool." They could have. They could have saved themselves by saying, "Well, I'm not really on board with this whole deal, but I'll gladly help you build that ship because that's pretty dope." And they didn't. And that should be the clue. We're heading towards a time soon. Very soon. Where a lot of people aren't thinking along those terms. Don't get me wrong. The aviation industry is not going to totally collapse. The shipping industry is not going to totally collapse. But it's going to become insufficient to support everything that we built. Because we don't have the people. Because people don't think of becoming mechanics. People don't think of flying airplanes. People don't think of getting, of getting into the shipping industry. People don't think of those things. They want it now. Nobody wants to spend five years swabbing the deck. Can't say I blame him. I mean, you know, mopping the the deck of a ship isn't really the greatest thing ever. Hanging off on a scaffold repainting stuff. I mean, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. Even Even running the engine room isn't quite as glamorous as people would like. And that's really where our problem is, is that we want glamour. We're not willing to work for the things that really count. If we were willing to work for the things that really count, even Ukraine wouldn't be in the situation that it's in right now. Or for that matter, Russia. Nobody would be in the situation that we're in right now. We can do so many greater things. All we got to do is recognize the natural order. If you recognize the natural order, your mind is calibrated. It's aligned towards things that when you do actually make that leap, hey, we're gonna try this, it works. Maybe not the first time. You know, there's always things that you never account for. But there really is nothing new under the sun. Everything that we have today is built on principles that came before. Everything that we have today is built on principles that came before even space travel. And so if you abandon those principles, be they scientific principles or religious principles or anything, really, no kidding, everything's going to fall apart. You'd be talking about ridiculous miracles if they didn't. And they're not even very good miracles. I tell you surely that manna from heaven is not nearly the miracle of the cross. Because God gave his people manna. That's cool. I mean like I say and that's like I sound like I'm being flippant with a massive miracle. But it it doesn't hold a candle to the miracle of the cross. Not by a long shot. And you can see that easily. If your brain's lined up right if your way of thinking is correct. And you know what the war in Russia and Ukraine actually doesn't resemble for anyone except for the globalists? It's either the miracle of the cross or manna from heaven. And these fools who create nothing meaning the likes of Klaus Schwab and George Soros and Bill Gates, they create nothing. They think they can make manna fall from heaven. And they think they can do that because you, dear family, fail to ask the questions. And if you keep asking those questions, you will find the truth. You will. I mean, if you're listening to this program, you already know it. So I'd highly recommend that you share this very long-winded, nearly hour and a half episode with people who don't. They might accidentally learn something. need to. Because we already have to line up for very hard times. We already have to be prepared. And you, dear family, are already prepared for it. You've been setting aside money. You've been setting aside food. You've been trying to make sure that you get the land to support your family. You've been doing many of the things materially that you need to do. But most importantly, hopefully, you've been doing all the spiritual things that you need to do in order to be ready, in order to stand in these days, and having done all to stand. But God's not only interested in you. To put it in the words of Father Ripperger, you're just not that special. God wants us all. So spread the word. And as always, pray for the nation. And pray for the church. And pray for us in Catholic social media, because it seems like a lot of us are sort of getting tied up in the in the current events things. Or the material things. And we're not really, I don't know. It feels like we're not paying as much attention. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, let's be real for just a moment. We've got whole channels that are dedicated to the spiritual. But it does feel like the focus is not so much on the spiritual, or I should say not on, the focus is not in the way the spiritual relates to the material. We've been very much in a defensive mode, and I think it's about time that we go out and evangelize. I think it's about time that we go out and we proclaim the word. I think it's about time, quick callback to last week's episode, In the aftermath, in the aftermath of the consecration of Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I think it's about time that we actually went out and spread the word. Because those of us who are all about hunkering down, those of us who are all about, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a place to hunker down and build your defenses. But we're reaching that time where we're going to have to actually do something about it, and your defenses are not doing something about it in the world. We're coming up on that time when we need to actually go out and proclaim the gospel. Go out and spread the message. And the message of Fatima, as terrifying as it is, if there's no practical application for it, if there's no reasoning behind why people should become Catholic, why people should begin to follow Our Lady, many of them are just going to leave it behind. They'll be like, oh, or they'll get into it and it'll, they'll just add it to their other New Age collection of stuff, which isn't going to save their soul at all. And it's certainly not going to help the society or the civilization. It's not going to help your neighborhood or your city or your state. A lot of it has to do with putting the gospel in terms they can understand. A lot of it has to do with spreading the message in a way that people look and they go, because here's the thing, you're going to have to convict their hearts and you're going to have to challenge their intellect. And they're probably going to hate you for it. They're probably going to come after you. Okay. I mean, we're supposed to be martyrs. Life is warfare. But we cannot keep this lamp under a bushel. And for all of the talk among traditional Catholic circles, we all end up looking inward, but not inward into our own souls. Inward meaning in our own communities, or in what we think are our own communities. God wants us all. It's going to take some time to convert the hearts all to the Roman Catholic faith. we still got to get past the whole papist. They, you know, oh, they're just a dirty papist. They're pagans. They they worship idols. Blah, 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 blah. Most people don't even actually, like, le- legit, most people don't even understand what we believe. They don't understand. They don't know. They don't want to know. But they need to have it stirred in them that something needs to save their bacon and their little prosperity gospel's not enough. we're reaching that point where we're going to have to go forth and multiply Catholics not just by breeding although by far I will say if I had the choice between evangelizing and breeding I'd just breed and teach my kids it's much more fulfilling and let's be real from a material aspect it's actually far more fun anyway I'm not going to digress down that path too far Pray for the church, pray for the nation, and start spreading the word. Hand out miraculous medals. Talk about them talk about Our Lady of Fatima. Maybe see about getting a copy of that yearbook from Portugal that actually talks about everything that happened that year regarding Fatima. Show people that Fatima's documented history, that it's real. And get ready for pushback. Because we are finna get it. But we either accept it, willingly, or we get it anyway. The world hates God, and they're gonna hate us because they hated our Lord. Pretty simple. Anyway. <sighs> I suppose I should do two last callbacks. And so the first one is, related to this topic, is embrace the suck. Because it's getting ready to suck a lot. And then the second one is, remember, on this show, we give no quarter to demons. So when they come after you, take no prisoners. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.